Well, welcome to Mansfield Bible Church. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning, worshiping together. And I want to encourage you to turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to uh, deal with the subject of overcoming loneliness. Uh, as I looked at this and researched that, uh, this topic this week, one of the things that stood out to me was that in 1985, uh, they did some studies, and they've continued those studies, and a number, the number of people in the United States with no close friends has tripled since that time, 1985. I mean, think about that. People with no close friends. You may be one of those people today that you feel like, well, I've got Facebook friends, I've got people who, who will talk to me, but not someone I would consider a close friend, a best friend. And I was thinking about this issue of overcoming loneliness. How do we overcome it? Because, I mean, obviously you can see how technology has probably contributed to that. I mean, technology gets a lot of bad rap, right? But, it, but it's a factor in this because we can talk to people now at a distance, uh, over Facebook, over uh, uh, different ways of, of social media. But the reality is, is we're not face-to-face. We're not spending time. We're not doing things together and playing games together. And all of a sudden you realize... Uh, there's a distance that grows and we find ourselves as lonely people. In fact, I thought of the Beatles song, All the Lonely People. And, I, and when I thought of that song, I thought that's what we typically, typically think when we think of this topic, all those lonely people. Not realizing, no, the reality is all people are lonely at various times in their day, their week, their life. I mean, think about it. All the different things that happen in your life that cause you to feel the feelings of loneliness. And we can't just ignore them because if we ignore these feelings of loneliness, they have physical impact on us. Remember I told you we are a physical, spiritual being that has mental and emotional aspects and we're one, not multiple. And so uh, when we look at our lives, what are the health risks associated with loneliness? And they're considerable. Depression and suicide, you can understand that. You feel hopeless, you feel alone in the world, feel like nobody cares if you're not here. Uh, cardiovascular disease and stroke, I'm not exactly sure how that happens except there's increased stress levels when you don't have friends. Friends that help you talk you down, talk you through different issues in life. Antisocial behaviors, uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. Poor decision making, because you have nobody yet to bounce ideas off of. Alcoholism and drug abuse because you're trying to salve some of the pain that you feel from feeling lonely. Alzheimer's disease is twice as likely to develop in people that don't have close friends who are lonely, that experience loneliness. Which means that people in the latter years of life, when they have lost a spouse especially, feel loneliness more than the regular population. I remember my mom telling me after I moved her from her own home in Midland to a... Uh, a, a living, uh, retired living place, uh, Watercrest here in Mansfield, uh, she said, I, don't, I did not realize how lonely I was after your dad died. And I was like, wow. And, it, and she had problems with Alzheimer's. Uh, diet for lonely people is higher in fat. I don't know what that means exactly, but because mine's already pretty high in fat. Uh, <laughs> Sleep is less efficient because you don't have somebody around, I guess. 
And this one was one that I had a hard time understanding and wrapping my head around. Maybe some of those of you who are more medical-minded would understand it. It says, loneliness also disrupts the regulation of cellular processes deep within the body, predisposing us to premature aging. I have no clue as to what that even means exactly, but I decided maybe somebody knows. Brain scans show that lonely individuals have uh, reduced activity in pain processing areas of the brain. I thought that was an interesting thing. Heart disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, compromises the immune system. Uh, production of stress hormones is harmful to sleep. Feeds chronic inflammation. I was like, wow, all these medical things that are attributed to the issue of loneliness. And I think, so what do we do about it? How do we fix it? Because we're an outer person and an inner person, as 2 Corinthians clearly says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That inner renewal, how can that help on the outer wasting away? And I think it does. I think as we look at our passage today, we'll see some things that I think will be helpful. I was thinking about different times of the year where we feel a loneliness more than other times. I know that as my parents have passed Thanksgiving and Christmas, I feel that sense of loneliness. Uh, and so the holidays are not quite the same. My brothers and sisters don't hang around as much. So now they go instead of to the parents' house, they go to their, their kids with their new grandkids. And so I don't see them as often either. Loneliness can be caused by some of our fears. There's antisocial behaviors uh, or social anxiety disorder. There's uh, agoraphobia where you fear being in crowds. Uh, the thing that, I, that hit me is I thought, you know, we can also feel lonely in a crowd. If you're a single person in the midst of a lot of married people, you feel kind of lonely. If you're somebody that has no kids and somebody has kids, you feel kind of out of place if the whole rest of the group has kids. And so you begin to find yourself, even in the midst of people, feeling loneliness for other things. Your spouse goes on a trip, you feel alone. When you're excluded from a group, you feel alone. You lose a job, a new situation, a new church, a new job, a new school. I, I know that well because I, my parents moved 18 times in the first 17 years they were married. And the amazing thing was I managed to find them each time. <laughs> you know, when you have your lunch wrapped in a roadmap, you know you're in trouble. Um, I was, uh, you know, when you think about being bullied, you feel very much alone. Whenever you're criticized, you feel alone, especially if it's at a meeting at work and you're criticized, your ideas shot down and you feel like withdrawing, leaving the room. You feel the same thing in a classroom whenever your teacher makes fun of something or whatever and the rest of the class laughs at an idea that you gave and you find this sense of aloneness. In fact, there were seven Types of loneliness in one article I read. It's a new situation, which we talked about. I'm different than you. Kind of uh, the no sweetheart loneliness. Everybody else has one. You don't. Uh, no animal loneliness. Uh, my wife was gone this week with her uh, uh, cousin in Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, I found myself, you know, more excited about seeing Chip, my dog, uh, when I get home. Uh, you know, there's a no time for me uh, uh, Loneliness or untrustworthy friends that aren't there when you need them or they're just a quiet presence where somebody's just there, where there's just somebody there whenever you get home. 
And so I was thinking about how loneliness is different for different people and, and how each person, we can feel loneliness throughout the week. And I thought, man, that's, that's so powerful to me to realize that we, every week we probably feel moments of that. And the question is, is what do we do about it? Now, in order to understand what to do about it, we need to understand that being alone and, and loneliness are two different things. Because being alone is a good thing. There's, a, there's times that it's good for us to be alone. In fact, Isaiah gets after the children of Israel because they didn't seek that. Uh, it says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, Isaiah 30, 15 says. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. I had a week this week that was crazy. I had a breakfast every morning and I had uh, a meeting every night till about 10 o'clock. And I, I, Friday, I just crashed. I just felt exhausted and I realized I was... I was ignoring this, in, uh, this encouragement, quietness and trust is your strength. And we think busyness, and so we just crowd up our schedules. And it's like, no, we got to build margins in there somewhere. Jesus went off by himself. He says, see, he withdrew, and it says he withdrew. But I was thinking, but he moved toward he moved toward God. In Mark 135, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. And so even at those times when, we're, when we find ourselves needing that time alone, we're moving towards something. And I started thinking the solution that God provides for us in loneliness is simple. It's moving toward instead of moving away. That sounds like a simple thing, but it's powerful. I mean, think about that. Moving toward instead of moving away. We move toward the Lord. We move toward solitary time where we can get recharged. We move toward a person and, and, you, and, and we find when, when we're lonely, it should drive us into relationship toward God, toward self, toward the church family, toward community. I believe that God gave it to us for a reason. And so when I, I, I want you to process that with me. And I want you to think about it. What do you typically do when you feel lonely? What is your typical response? Is it to move toward or move away? Because we'll typically withdraw. We'll move away from people and we'll say, if people really loved me, they would come toward me. And so we kind of withdraw expecting people to come toward us. And that doesn't always happen. And then we start feeling like, oh, well, nobody loves me, you know. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, a little, sorry, just popped into my head. Uh, I just had to say it. Uh, and so loneliness, I believe God gave us as a driver to drive us to community. I read one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting. I think there are other factors as well that cause loneliness. And this, this one kind of brought it up. And I thought there's probably a lot more things than this. It says the link between loneliness and smiling. And it talked about mirroring another person's smile. Somebody looks, comes to you and they smile. And if you go, no smile, then guess what they do? They tend to back off. They think that you don't want to talk to them. And you may not be thinking anything of the sort and not realize that your lack of smiling causes someone not to come toward you and therefore you maintain loneliness. And I thought, wow, how many other unconscious antisocial signals do we give in life that maybe we need to be aware of that are causing people to be standoffish rather than coming toward us. And so I started thinking about how God designed us and desires us to move toward, to simply move 
toward. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Not good. Low tov. It's the, it's the first time in the first two chapters, every time else he says, and he created everything and it was good. And he creates the next thing and it's good and the next thing and it's good. And they said, but it's not good. That just stands out like a blaring signal in chapter two. Not good. Low tov. It's not good that the man be alone. He needs to be together. He was designed for together. Solomon in his wisdom in Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. We saw that last week when we're working together and we, we get more accomplished than we would separately. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 4, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And so you look at that and you realize, so when I fall, it's better. When I'm working, it's better to, to, ha to be in community, to be together instead of being by myself. David in the Psalms begins to turn toward the Lord. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. And so he's talking to the Lord, asking him for that. In Psalm 68, it says, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And so God sets the lonely in families. He's designed families for the purpose of loneliness, according to that passage. In James 1.27, says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. What is their affliction? Lone, being alone. And so we go and we have the opportunity to meet their need. And guess what? It meets our need as well of, of being in community and being with someone else. Exodus 18, 18, uh, Moses' father-in-law said, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. We're not designed to work alone. Ecclesiastes said that. We're not designed to be, in, uh, be alone. God wanted us to be in family. He wanted us to be in community as part of the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. But do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, God designed us to be in community. He designed us to be together. And he wants that to happen. And so when I think about that, I was thinking through the scriptures and I was thinking about loneliness and the guy that came to mind was Elijah and I was thinking, Lord, I just preached this passage last year. Why would I preach it again so soon? And I realized there was a different thread that I followed through that first time. That thread was when we're successful and then we feel down afterwards, depression. But here, it's the idea of loneliness throughout uh, and how we move away from God and how we move away from people and how God draws us back. And I thought, wow, that's another powerful thread in the life of Elijah. So I want you to turn with me to Elijah's life as we can take a lesson from him. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, I've got to give you a little background before we hit 19. In chapter 18, we see... Uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. S familiar story, many of you know, maybe some of you don't know, where El Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. In fact, he's challenging the nation. Here's the challenge he gives to the nation. 
He says, how long will you waver? This is 1821. Uh, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And so then he suggests a contest between he and the prophets of Baal. And the contest is this. We'll build two altars on Mount Carmel. It's up, it's, Mount Carmel is in the northern part of Israel, in the Galilee region. Uh, it's just... Uh, uh, it's an area that's close to the Mediterranean. Uh, it's a mountain range, so we're not sure where on the mountain it is. But somewhere on Mount Carmel, he says, let's have this contest. They both built altars. They both put sacrifices on the altar. And they said, now let God light the altar like the sacrifice. And so the prophets of Baal, they're dancing around. They're cutting themselves. They're yelling. And, and, and Elijah's sitting back and going, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to shout louder. You know, he's taunting them. He says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him. Maybe he's doing his business. I mean, it's just all these different things. He's just making fun of these guys all day long. And then he gets his moment near the evening. And notice what he prays. In verse uh, 36 of 18, he says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. So they've had all day long, he shows up in the evening. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known to you today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and uh, have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know. That you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You go, wow, what a powerful prayer. It gives me chills just to read it. And so the fire doesn't come down for the prophets of Baal, but for, God, for, for Elijah, the fire comes down. It burns the sacrifice. He had poured water all over it several times, soaked up all the water, burned the stone. I mean, everything was gone. It was just decimated. And then he puts the prophets of Baal to death. And then God gives him such strength and such power that he outruns Ahab's chariot. Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom, outruns the chariot all the way to Jezreel, which is down the valley from, uh, from uh, uh, Mount Carmel. So he runs there. He gets there first. This is where Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is. Jezebel is one of the most wicked uh, queens uh, to exist in, in all of the uh, First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Chronicles. You think, wow, she is not a good person. In fact, we see her in chapter 18. Uh, it says uh, in verse 18:4, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in caves. And so she's killing the Lord's prophets. She's also got the, the prophets of Baal and prophets of, of Asherah eating at her table. It says in verse 19, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Well, after the fire comes down, he goes and slaughters all these prophets, Right? Jezebel is ticked. These are her friends. These are people that eat at her table. She is not happy. And so in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now, 
Where was Elijah? In Jezreel. Where was uh, Jezebel? In Jezreel. Why didn't she just go get him and kill him? If she did, if she had done that, then she would have just made a martyr of him and people would have followed after him and followed after his God. Instead, she decided to scare him and, she, and it was successful because we see in, in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And you think, oh, wow, he just moved to further loneliness. He took off. He ran away from the situation because fear causes us to do things that we would not normally do. And in fact, Larry Crabb, uh, a Christian counselor, said we either live by fear or by truth. Truth will set you free. free uh, fear will not. It puts us in bondage. And so he, he's afraid, runs, runs for his life, goes to Beersheba. A hundred miles he goes. He's running. And I don't know if he's running the whole time. I'm sure his adrenaline was racing. He leaves his servant and he goes a day's journey into the desert, which would have been about 20 more miles. So he's gone 120 miles and he's left his servant. He's by himself. He's in the desert. And he comes under a broom tree, which is really more of a tall shrub that has a little bit more of a canopy than a typical shrub. Uh, it has beautiful white flowers that smell like honey during uh, January to April. And he sits down under the pra- and he prayed. He prayed that he might die. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm done. I'm done with this life. I would bet that most people pray that prayer sometime in their life where they just say, I can't take anymore. In fact, he said, I have had enough. You ever reach enough? That point where you just, you've had enough. You can't take anymore. You don't see how you can take anymore. He says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And I thought, wait a minute. What did you just pray in the chapter before? O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And now he's saying, Lord, just take my life. I've had enough. How did he get there so quickly? It can happen. We can get to the point of feeling overwhelmed. We can get to the point of feeling lonely. And lonely drives a lot of stuff. I was thinking about all the things that loneliness drives. It drives gossip. Because if you know something alone, you feel uncomfortable and you just can't wait to tell somebody. Right? So it drives gossip. It drives lack of forgiveness. You should forgive somebody and you don't want to do it. And so you withhold forgiveness and it causes you to feel distance between that person. If that person is someone close to you, you don't end up talking to them. My grandmother did not speak to her twin brother for 40 years until we as a family pulled him back together because of lack of forgiveness. It happens. It causes us to be lonely from the very people that we could be the most close to. And so he prays, I'm no better than my ancestors. And it's like, who said you have to be on the one hand? And then on the other hand, uh, you, you know, which of your ancestors brought down fire from heaven and and raised somebody back to life? Obviously, he's confused. But that's the way you feel at those moments. It says, then he lay down under a tree and fell, as, uh, fell asleep. So what did God do? Did God jump his case? Did God say, hey, you're in sin. You need to, you need to walk with me. You, you've messed up. You, why, how did you go from following me one day and not the next? No. That's not how God responded to him. He responded in tenderness. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Just a gentle, 
healthy touch. In this case, angel touching him. Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, probably part of the the bush. Uh, It says in a jar of water, he ate and drank and then he laid down again. What did God do? He let him sleep. He brought an angel to feed him. It says, then the angel of the Lord, verse 7, and you think, wait a minute. He said an angel before. Now he says the angel of the Lord came back a second time. So both times it was the angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? Exodus chapter 3 and verse, uh, uh, well, around verse 14, uh, we see the burning bush. And in the burning bush, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, we see the angel of the Lord show up. He shows up in verse 2 of of Exodus 3. He says, there was an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And then two verses later, it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Wait a minute, I thought that was the angel of the Lord. Yeah, the angel of the Lord appears to be God. And most likely, Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. That's what I think, think it is, the angel of the Lord. So here the angel of the Lord, Jesus, I think, shows up a second time, comes back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that must have been high calorie food. Or else he was fasting. And it says, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So that was Mount Sinai. And and you look at that, that's 190 miles. And so if you do just simple math, wait a minute, 40 days he travels. He travels 190 miles. That's around five miles a day. Wait a minute. They could travel typically about 20 miles a day. That means he was kind of dragging his feet. It tells us something about the condition of Elijah. He was not, not in a good place. And then he went to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And I'm assuming that he talked to him about like that. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I mean, God has already fed him twice, let him sleep, and now his presence is there. For the Lord is about to pass by. I'm going to show you myself. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, and he gives the same answer. I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty, and and I'm the only one left. And and so he gives all these things. God has, has responded to him three times. And now what does God ask him to do? Three things. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus where you will there anoint Hazel, king over Aram, 
and also anoint Jehu, son of Nim Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu would, would put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. They cleaned up the country from the worship of Baal. The thing he started on Mount Carmel, they finished. And God said, I'm taking care of the thing that concerns you. And in fact, he even says, you're not alone. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He says, you're not alone. You've got people that have done the same, that have stood with you. So Elijah went from there and found, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And so Elijah comes along, throws his cloak on him. Elisha responds, and he burns his oxen and, his, and the yoke, and he, and he starts following. What did God do? God provided a, a person to be a friend to him for the rest of his life. But he left it up to him to move toward Elisha. He didn't just have Elisha just show up. Elisha was busy working and had to get rid of some stuff and take care of some things before he could come and follow him. And so you look at that and you think, so what was God's solution to loneliness for Elijah? One, to remind him that there are others. Two, to encourage him to move toward other people, to get back in the game, to get back to moving toward. Moving toward is powerful. We've seen an example of that this week, of moving toward in the uh, Amber Geiger trial, after it was all over, many of you may have seen what Botham John's brother, Brant, did. If you didn't see it, you need to see it. If you've saw, seen it, you need to watch it again. Because you see someone who had every reason not to move toward. The pressure was on him. And here was a godly young man who believed in Jesus and believes in Jesus and believes Jesus is the solution. And he began to speak to the person who was convicted of, of killing his brother. And it's powerful when you move toward. It's the hug that's seen around the world. I want us to watch it briefly. If you truly are, sorry. I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ that's, 
I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. When he could have moved away, he moved toward. It's one of the most powerful moments in the last few years on TV. When I think about the love of Christ that he demonstrated and how people in other countries have even seen and been moved by that. And there's a lot of debate. There's people that think that he was doing this for show and he wasn't. He didn't know the cameras were rolling. I saw an interview the next day. When we move toward, it makes a powerful statement for the love of Christ. When we move toward, it's powerful not only in other people who see it, but it's powerful in our lives. And God designed us to move toward, to move toward in forgiveness, to move toward in loneliness, to move toward him, to move toward one another, to move toward those who have hurt us, to move toward those that we have hurt. God wants us to move toward. He's designed us for that. When we moved away from him, when Adam and Eve moved away from him in the garden, he moved toward. That's our God. And when, he, when we move toward, we demonstrate the love of Christ and we see his power. We see it in the still quietness. The, as the pas passage says, a gentle whisper. It's not this dramatic thing. It's not this great and mighty thing, but it's incredibly powerful and it's mighty in its quietness. Let's be those who move toward, move toward rest, move toward one another, move toward God. Father, we come to you this morning and we admit that we don't always want to move toward, but Father, how powerful it is when we do. How much it demonstrates the love of Christ when this, here this godly young man, 18 years old, demonstrates to, to the rest of us forgiveness, love, compassion, mercy. Father, I'm just, I'm just blown away by that. And I pray that we would do the same. Father, I know that as we move toward, 
we demonstrate the love of Christ. When we don't feel like doing it, and we do, we find healing ourselves as well. We shall know the truth. The truth shall set us free. And so, Lord, I pray that you would set us free. Set us free from ourselves. Lord, I pray that, and I know there may be people here who are feeling lonely. Lord, I pray that you would meet them at their need. I pray that's why you ask us to be hospitable, that we reach out to others and that we care about others and that we, we give a hand of fellowship, that we talk to one another. Lord, I pray that you would help this to be a place where your love is demonstrated in power and in truth. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our uh, offering um, right now. If you're new with us this morning, please, uh, we don't want you to feel obligated that you do have to put anything in there. In fact, if you want to just take your uh, connection card that was from the front, if you filled that out, you can drop it in the the basket as it passes. Um, We we do an offering every Sunday, and that's uh, for lots of... (laughs) Reasons we try to narrow that down to, to the three that we are we're acknowledging that God is the giver of all things in the first place, uh, also that He is going to be our provider when we give, and then lastly that it allows us to to be a part of God's ministry here um, on earth. And so those are just some of the reasons why we give, other than the fact that God just tells us to as well. Um, um, but to also that we do have communion tables um, up in the front and the back if you. Uh, would like to take communion this morning, please uh, feel free to do that. Uh, we uh, have been talking the past couple weeks about uh, the women's retreat, which is coming up in October. Um, and instead of me telling you about it this morning, we have a video for you. Hey, Fred. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Hey, did you hear about the women's retreat coming up? Yeah, I heard about it. I don't know if I'm going to go. I've got a lot to do. Got a lot of kids, a lot of things. Janae, Janae, you need to refresh. You need to get away. You need to be with the women. We need to eat double stuffed Oreos. Come on, this would be really good for you. Maybe. Let's go, girls.
Fatima, have you been back there the whole time? Yes! What are you doing back there? Well, I just wanted to give y'all information about the women's retreat. Okay. Yeah, do y'all know anything about it? Nope, nothing. nothing. No? Okay, so it is in Mount Lebanon in Cedar Hill. It's gonna be from October 18th to the 20th. The cost is only 125. How exciting is that? Yes. And yes. you can register online at nbcchurch.life. Are you going? I'm so going. We're going. Let's go. Come with us. So I don't know if y'all can tell, but they do really want y'all to come. So uh, if you are a woman, please go online and sign up. And I believe they'll have someone out the, uh, the women's ministry table in the lobby as well. You can talk to them and get any uh, questions answered there. But uh, please sign up or they may give you another video, which I kind of hope they do. But um, guys, uh, men's ministry, we are having a, a brisket kind of cook out and watch the, uh, the Cowboys and Packers play today. It starts at three here at the church. Any, any guy, come on up, eat. There's going to be barbecue. Uh, we, and even if you don't like football, show up anyway. Uh, there's food. Everybody likes food, right? So be there for that. Um, last thing, uh, in the past, we've done a uh, trunk retreat on Halloween. We are not doing that this year. We didn't do it last year as well. But really, we're trying to change our, our focus about that. We, we would prefer, and we have some, uh, some small groups that, that have uh, kind of stepped to, up to, to do this and, and really just kind of intentionally look at how can we how can we meet and just kind of be relational with our neighborhoods that we already live in on Halloween and a lot of times that's a time of year where people that normally don't even come out of their homes during the week will come out with kids or grandkids and walk around and so we want to find ways that we can just just you know connect with them and talk to them and and, uh, and so we're doing different things. If, if you'd like to find out more about that, that sounds interesting to you. Talk to Greg Lingle in the back or Fatima um, as well, and they can give you kind of more information on, on, on kind of what we're looking at as a vision for that. Um, we do have a couple of baptisms this morning, so you guys, here we go with that. I accepted Jesus by letting him into my heart. Jesus, he took away... Um, all of the sins. I want to be baptized to show other people that I believe in God and Jesus. I love these times of baptism. Uh, I think about uh, Romans 6 where it says, um, or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Three pictures that you get in that passage. One is baptized into his death. And so this, this baptism pictures the death of Christ and his resurrection. The second picture is being raised to live a new life. And you'll hear those words as we do the baptism today, that this is a time to think about the fact that we die to ourselves and we're raised to live a life of faith in Christ. And then the third picture is, we shall certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So it's a picture of one day when I die, I will be raised with him. And so those three pictures are powerful in baptism. We don't believe that baptism saves a person. It's a time that's like a press conference where 
that person is demonstrating and expressing their faith before the people of God uh, and before anybody else that they believe in Jesus. And so, Heath, I know that you believe in Jesus. I'm excited about that for you. And because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Julie Stevens. I accepted Christ like two years ago. I want to be baptized to show other people that I believe. Jolie, we're excited for this moment, to share this moment with you as you are expressing to us your faith in Jesus. And because of your faith in Jesus Christ and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> 